The call to worship is found on the inside of your bulletin. It is taken from one, uh, Psalm 150. So if you would, if you're able, please stand. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him, praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with trumpet dance. Praise him with instruments Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now if you would turn in your... Trinity hymn books to hymn number 105, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah.
Please remain standing for opening prayer. Lord, we praise you this morning. We praise you for your mighty deeds. We praise you for your excellent greatness. Let everything that has breath praise you. And that is, Lord, why we've gathered here together this morning, to give praises to your holy name, to magnify you and your name for your greatness. Lord, may our praises be glorifying and honoring to you. May they be a sweet sound to your ear. Lord, be with us here this morning. May your spirit of truth be upon us. Give us your wisdom. Give us your truth. Help us to understand your word. May it sanctify us and help us to grow in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Now, if you would, turn in your Trinity uh, hymn book to hymn number 488. 488, Lead On, O King Eternal. Mark's Gospel. Today we'll be looking at Mark chapter 11. This chapter includes the official presentation of Jesus as king. It also speaks of the barren fig tree, 
It also has Jesus purifying the temple, also the prayer of faith, and we see yet again Jesus' authority being questioned. Mark chapter 11. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there and said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he looked around about upon things, and now the eventide was come, and he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow when they were come to Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he would not suffer man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remember and saith unto him, Master, Behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, 
and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he will have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and scribes and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one question and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people. For all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering them, saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. May the Lord bless his precious word. Now as we come to prayer, we want to remember Albany Baptist Church in Albany, New York, with pastors Sarver and Hill. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning confessing our sins. And we are guilty of a multitude of sins, even as your children. So, Father, we would ask that you would cleanse our heart, that you would cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Father, we praise you this morning, for you are holy, holy, holy. You are the one true living God, and there is no other beside you. You are the creator and sustainer of all things. Without you, we cannot take our next breath. Father, we praise you for your goodness to us when we are most undeserving. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for your, for your faithfulness. We thank you for your truth. You are a God who does not change, and we thank you for that. We take great comfort that you are sovereign and that you are working your purposes even now. Father, we thank you, Lord, for temporal things that you give unto us through your goodness. 
We thank you, Lord, for our families. We thank you for our homes and vehicles. We thank you, Lord, for the money that you provide. We thank you, Lord, for this church. We thank you that we have a place where we can come and freely worship our God. Father, we we think now of the church in Albany, the Albany Baptist Church and Pastor Sarver and Hill. We do pray, Father, that the Spirit of God will help us help them to minister faithfully to visitors attending in private and in public. And we pray, Father, that they would come to a full commitment to Christ and his church. We pray that the Lord will work mightily in the hearts and lives of the young people at the youth retreat. We pray for Pastor Reed as he ministers the word of God. We pray that the Lord would make it plain in due time if the man who is among them is the man of God's choosing to labor full-time among them. So again, Father, we would ask your blessings upon the church. We pray, Lord, that they might grow in number, and we pray that they would grow in their fervency to see your kingdom extended. Father, we do pray for the United States of America. We are in a dark, dark place of our own doing. And Father, we would pray that you might be pleased to start a revival within us individuals and that that revival spirit would spread like wildfire. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us as a nation. We have committed so many sins against you. We have not stood for the word of God. We have not stood for our great triune God. Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to be faithful. That you would give us the courage to spread the gospel. We pray, Father, for America and the decisions that we have made. And we pray, Father, for so many issues that, that are destroying our nation. It seems as though abortion is at the top of the list. And we think of all the millions upon millions of babies who, whose lives were taken from them by the hand of man. And we know that your word says that you hate the shedding of innocent blood. Father, we pray that as a nation we would repent of these things. We pray, Father, for the salvation of, of our president. We pray, Father, for the salvation of our vice president and those who sit in Congress. We pray, Father, for those in the Supreme Court. We pray, Father, for our governor, our state representatives. We pray, Father, for our mayor. We ask, Lord, that you would change hearts and minds 
and that many would come to know the Savior and therefore know of the truth. Father, we pray that you would remind us to be in submission to the government by way of voting. We pray, Lord, that Christians would be faithful to vote. Father, we, we think of Pastor Calvin and Trish as they are in Texas, and we ask, Lord, for traveling mercies for them as they intend on coming home on Tuesday. We ask, Lord, that you would bless their time with their family. Father, we pray that you would fill John Gaskell this morning with your Holy Spirit, that he would preach the gospel in clarity and in truth. We pray that your word would go forth from this place in power, and that if there's someone here today, Lord, that maybe isn't sure about their salvation, may today be the day that they find their desperate need of a Savior. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you would, turn in your Trinity hymn book to hymn number 173. 173.
As always, I am grateful to have that opportunity to share from God's word that which encourages and strengthens his people and pray that we may hear that this morning. Many years ago, a different lifetime, I think it's 35, 40 years ago now, I used to teach high school math. And in that day, one of the most common questions I had had nothing to do with how to solve an equation, what in the world a sign was, spelled S-I-N-E as opposed to S-I-G-N. I, I, didn't, I didn't have questions like that asked very often, just those glazed over stares that came as I was trying to explain whatever lesson it was. It was rather, Mr. Gaskell, why in the world are we studying this? We will never make use of it in real life. Of course, they were high schoolers. They didn't have any clues to what they were going to be doing two years from then, much less five years or ten years down the road. Their perceptions of the future were cloudy at best, and thus it was very difficult to get them motivated to, to, to learn algebra or trig or calculus, whatever I was teaching. Fortunately, years later, it came into good use. I had three girls who were able to uh, use what knowledge I had left. It's leaking out too quickly sometimes, it seems, but I was able to get them through calculus, and it was an entirely different uh, situation with them because their question was not, Mr. Gaskell, what, what will I ever do with this? It was just, Daddy, what, what am I ever going to do with this? And sure enough, when they got out of high school, they never touched a math book again. That inability to see the future can sometimes cause problems in our life. That inability to look beyond what we see with our eyes in the moment can, can cause us problems. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture that deals with that is that one where the young man walks out one morning to get the newspaper for Elisha, and he looks all around him, and lo and behold, there is a great army, we are told, that has surrounded the city, and they've come for guess who? Well, the young man knew there was trouble afoot, and so he runs into the house to tell Elisha there's an army out there. And Elisha just, I, I can just picture him shaking his head and saying, Son, you, you don't have to worry. Don't be afraid because those who are with us are more than those who are out there. And then he prays, God, open his eyes. And the Lord did. And suddenly there were all those fiery chariots and angels that happened to be surrounding Elisha and the young man saw why Elisha was not nearly as worried as he was. Now, you might wonder where in the world we are going with this. And it is one of those things that I think um, 
always impresses me as I read scripture, uh, it, it's a lot more relevant sometimes than we think. Get, getting our eyes opened to something that is more than just that which, was, which is right in front of us. How many of you within the past week have picked up your newspaper, looked at maybe just the headlines, and wanted to close it up and throw it away? I, I, I can't take any more of that. And, and we're fearful. We're fearful because we see a, a dark and dismal future sometimes when all we have to read are the pages of the newspapers that we have. Paul wrote, I think, with some wise words in a prayer that he made for the Ephesian church that tell us something that we need to hear today. And it's kind of Elisha-like in that he says there's something there and you just don't see it. And I pray that God would open your eyes to it. If you will turn in your Bibles... uh, I apologize, I can never remember what version of Scripture most of you use, but I'm using the New American Standard Bible. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling... What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which was brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Let us bow in prayer. Our Father, we know as much as we would like to think otherwise, perhaps, that our faith is too much like those high school kids, too, too much obscured by the, the current calamity that we can see with our own eyes all about us. Sometimes we forget that there is more to be seen than what we can see with our physical eyes. I pray that you would open our eyes this morning, not just that we may know more things, but that we may know you better and know that absolutely incontrovertible truth that you are a God with the power to care for your children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul writes to those, if you know the opening uh, portions of the first chapter of Ephesians. He writes to those who had been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You think about it. Whatever it is that you have been blessed with, do you have faith? When you sin, do you find a repentant heart? Do you find that sense of hope that carries you through difficult times? Whatever the blessing is, it comes in Christ. There is no other way. He and he alone is the one who grants that to us. These people had found hope because their sins were forgiven. That is what God did in Christ there at the cross. They had found an assurance of their inheritance with the saints because the Spirit of God had begun to work in their hearts so that they understood what it meant that he had granted them new life. 
and in the course of all their struggles as well as in their victories, they had found the power of the Heavenly Father at work through their lives. These people, in other words, as far as Paul could understand and know their situation, these were Christians. He is not writing to unbelievers who have no interest in the things of God. He is writing to those who said, we love the Lord. We trust him for all that he has in store for us to give us what is good. These are the kind of people he writes to. And what does he he say to them? He says, you know what I'm praying for you? I'm praying God would open your eyes. Each day we need to have our eyes opened again because... We find the world around us sometimes constricts our vision, darkens our way, and we need again the work of the Spirit to open our eyes as Paul prayed for these people that they would have. He prays that their eyes would be opened because living in the world that they lived in, just like living in the world that we live in, it's a dangerous thing to spiritual life. And we need to be able to look a little bit further down the road or perhaps just a little bit higher than what we are oftentimes inclined to do. When we do, when our eyes are opened, you'll note the things that he prays for. There are three things that he says there. Prays that they will have their eyes open to see the hope that God gives them. Pray that he will open their eyes so that they can gaze on the glory of their inheritance in eternity and then open their eyes so that they can catch sight of God's incomparable power. Because, yes, there are chariots of fire out there, but that's just the angels. That's, that's not our God himself, because his power is far greater than even the greatest of them. We look first at that hope that God gives that can cheer our souls when nothing else seems to do it. You know... A few years ago, what was it? I can't count that, but 55, 75 years ago, I think it was, the UN was established. And you know why it was established? It was established to help bring an end to wars or at least to be able to minimize their impact. Year after year in our Congress, in our city halls, in our state legislatures, Those who make the laws pass bills that promise certain things. They promise to help the poor, to increase minimum wages, to lower our taxes, things like that, in order that we can live better lives. And yet, perhaps you have noticed that it seems we still have wars. And we still have poor people. And we still have... uh, those in the, the, the world about us who are living with physical need and the divisions, man, we don't even have to go over to Russia and Ukraine to see how divisions can make for real problems, even if we just keep our eyes on our own country. Paul wanted something better for the Ephesians. He wanted something more than simply a wish that by talking a lot we could get things done, make things better for everybody. Christian hope is better because it is built on a more solid foundation. It is built on the foundation of God's word that can never change and never fail. It is built on that which he has revealed to us in scripture that tell us our God 
is trustworthy. When he promises something, we know he will make sure we get it. When he promises strength for our weakness, when he promises joy in the midst of deep sorrows that we have, when he promises peace for the turmoil in our personal lives, we can rest assured he can and will give to his children exactly what is needed for their lives. Christian hope contemplates the future with the full assurance that all God says he will do, and he promises much good to his people, he will do. And that means and includes the grace we need for today's life. That's why we still pray the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Not give me today what I'm going to need two years from now, but today, grace for today, and then in heaven a full-blown joy that we can't even begin to imagine what it will be like. Our hope has its source in God's call to salvation that Paul has spoken of in the previous verses of this very chapter. We have been predestined to adoption as his sons because he loves us. And you know why he loves us? Well, I don't. If you have an answer, you can tell me afterwards because I look at me sometimes and wonder why anybody does. But he loved us. The holy God looked at sinners like us and says, I love you, and he made a plan, a plan that will not fail to save every one of his chosen people and bring them home to be with him. This, this hope that we have is not the product of our preparation for the future. It is not the product of a of a determination that we are going to do right so that God will just have to pay us off at the end and tell us what good people we've been. Not at all. It, it depends upon what God has done and simply our faith in responding to those promises that he makes in Scripture. It is based in his unchangeable determination not just to justify, not just to sanctify, but to glorify each and every one of those who have called upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We may lose family, we may lose homes, health, and security in this world. But let's face it, that which matters most to us, that eternal place in heaven with our Lord for all eternity, that can never be taken away from us. It simply is impossible because the one who with a word brought this world into existence says, I guarantee you, that is yours and will never be taken away. We need, we need to, to find that hope that is based upon God's promises for it will carry us through even the darkest of hours. And I mentioned we may lose much in this world, but what is most important can't be taken for, from us. We, we need to re remember that. We have an inheritance. We have a heavenly inheritance. I, I, I don't know exactly what streets of gold are going to look like. I, I don't know exactly what a, a, a pearl the size of a city gate is going to look like. I, I don't know, in other words, what heaven is going to be like in many of the details, but I know this. Jesus is there, and compared to that, 
I, I really don't care about the rest of it. What, whatever it is that God gives me to do, I know that it will be a place of great joy because forever I will be able to stand and look upon the face of the Lord who has given me so much in this life. To understand its glorious nature helps us to be able to look at the glories of this world and see how they pale in comparison. Whatever it is that we look and say, boy, that would be success for me. Whether it is in the relationships that we have, the job that we take, the home that we buy, whatever it is, we look at those and say, but compared to heaven, what are these small things? And that is, of course, why Jesus says of that foolish man that he speaks of in one of his parables, what good does it do you to gain the whole world and lose that life that God has promised? That it is, it is just nothing in comparison. In this way, by staring, contemplating, meditating upon that which is ours in eternity, worldly power, wealth, and pleasure, well, they just don't, they just don't seem as attractive to us anymore. They, they're not those things that, boy, I would give my life to have that. There's only one thing that we put above all others, and that is... That is our Lord himself. Contemplation of our eternal home that is filled with the glory of God himself is an antidote for the creeping worldliness that, unless you're really special, you deal with too. You find it in your life on a regular basis. You, 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 you go a few hours, maybe a day, maybe a couple of days, maybe a week or so. And those things about the glory of heaven and what it means for us to be able to be there, those, those kind of take a back seat. We hardly even think of them. And then God brings us to our senses again. And once again, we see them and we say, why did I get so caught up in the things of this world that I forgot those? When the disappointments and trials of this life weigh heavily on us, we, we need to see heaven's glories again. We need to stop and think about what it means to be with our Lord as we will in that day. The darkness of this sinful world and sadly our own corrupt hearts can dim our vision of the glory that awaits us. With faith that gives us eyes to see, you know what we will be able to do? We'll be able to say with Paul as he does in Romans chapter 8, my present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glories that await me. That, that is how great it is, and it ought to grip our minds, and it needs to grip our minds, because we do live in dark days, do we not? Do we not struggle sometimes to see how in the world God can ever fix the mess that we are in? Wonder what in the world has happened to his plan? Well, Nothing's happened to it. It's going along just like it always has because, well, because he is God and he simply does not fail. And that's the last thing that we're looking at is catching sight of that incomparable power of the God that we serve. Hope that is going to provide any real comfort for those trying times must be built on more than mere wishes. There are a lot of things that I've wished for my children along the way that just 
haven't quite worked out as I might have hoped. But when we speak of God's promises to us, they always work out. You know, I, I may hope that the surgery I'm about to undergo will go well, but if I'm in the office and I overhear the nurse talking to the doctor and I hear him say, you know, I've never really done one of these before, but I, I saw it in a book somewhere, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a little bit of hesitancy there, a little bit of anxiety beginning to, to build in my thoughts. An inheritance is a marvelous thing to give you some confidence that you're going to be able to face the future and deal with the financial aspects of life anyway. Unless, of course, your investments are all in companies that are now finding a downward trend in them. You begin to wonder, is there going to be anything left when I really need it? I know I've told my daughters, I've asked them, I said, is there anything that you want? Because I need to buy it now. I've looked at my retirement funds, and there's not going to be anything next week, so let's, let's get it done and get it done quickly. We, we can find much dwindling to nothing quickly because we live in this world. This world, not some imaginary world where everything always turns out the way that we want it. We need to, to find... In situations like that, a hope that can encourage us along the way. On a daily basis, let's face it, we have to deal as people who know the joy of the Lord, as people who are comforted by the fact that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, we need to deal with things like sorrow, hardships, fears, unhappiness, and uncertainties. And we can find the courage and the confidence to face all these because God's power is real. Again, those fiery chariots surrounding Elisha, they were real. Do you remember the, st- the story? I hope you remember it better than I, I can because I can't remember whether it's Elijah or Elisha, but they sent, they sent 50 men after him. You grab that man and you bring him back because I, I got to talk to him, one of the kings of Israel. And they, he sent out that, those 50 soldiers along with their captain and they were burned up. They, they, there was nothing left. And then he sent out another 50 and they were burned up. The third one had a little bit different approach and so he made it out alive. But the point is... God's power is not just a spiritual power that only affects what's going on in heaven. It is a very real power, well, that can open up seas so that his people can walk through and the guys behind them drowned in the waters. That's the kind of power he has, and yet we fear this world sometimes. Let us keep our focus upon the fact that our God has all power. He is truly omnipotent. If there is power to be found anywhere, it is in God. And he simply allows us to make use of it from time to time. God's power is one that is beyond our comprehension, and he does use it to save his people. Whatever power is out there that might threaten our spiritual life and well-being, know this, God is greater. And one of my favorite applications of this 
whatever sin is in your life that could destroy you, God's power is greater. His love is greater because he can forgive the worst of sins and draw his people back again and again and again to that righteousness that alone leads us to heaven because it alone comes from Christ himself. The spiritual forces of evil in our own sinful hearts are simply not enough. Even even if we, we gather with the worst of men, it is not enough to draw us away from our God who has a hold of us. There is a great power in this universe that ex- is exercised to hold the stars in their courses, to, to make sure that the boundaries of the sea are not crossed, to make sure that winter follows fall and summer follows spring. That is a great power but it does nothing to match the power of the God who has a hold of us to ensure that our life truly is eternal. The power that is the greatest comfort to the Christian is that power. The power Paul speaks of ensures that the events of our life, not just history in general, but your life, the struggles you have today, the dangers that lie ahead of you tomorrow, the hopes that you saw quashed years ago, God has planned for your life that and only that which leads ultimately to your good. And again, God's purposes never fail. Hardship and disappointment are merely the tools in God's hands to bring us greater blessings in due time. The almighty power of God is always at work to make sure that the believer does not fall finally. It is that power that ensures not only that our inheritance is safe, but that we ourselves are safe. I've always liked 1 Peter, some of the opening words there. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is, three words, imperishable, undefiled, unfading in its glory. And they are kept in heaven, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Are you protected by that power? If you're not, you have no hope. If you are, there can never be a hopelessness about you concerning what lies ahead in the eternity that awaits us. God's power ensures that we are safe and always will be. We need to see how God is at work in our world and in our lives so that we may realize what Paul wanted the Ephesians to realize here. We can sum up the content of his prayer for the Ephesians with one little phrase. I pray that you may know. That you may know what? Well, that you may know what you already have. You will notice he does not ask God to give them hope. He does not ask them, uh, God to give them a rich inheritance or power. 
He says, these things are already yours. I don't have to ask that God give them to you. I just want you to be able to see that they're your works. That is, that is the, the, the joy of the knowledge of God. And I think it is perhaps especially the last of these blessings that we ought to give thought to as we pray. So many pray for a greater power from God, for faithful living, for effective ministry. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but we, we, don't, we don't want to forget what Paul says here because it gives us Paul, uh, pause sometimes. We don't need more power than that exceedingly great power that raised Christ from the dead and has been given to us to raise us from spiritual death to life. We don't need more power. I'm sorry, how much better do you get than raising people from the dead? We don't need more power. What we need is to realize that God's power is available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. I like simple answers to difficult questions. How can I do what God wants me to do? Well, he gave me new life. He's already done it. He's already given you what you need. It is yours, and we just need our eyes open to see that truth. This knowledge will encourage us to be more joyful uh, probably. Well, it, it should anyway. Paul says rejoice always. He writes such things from the middle of a Roman prison. And I guess if he can do it, we should be able to do it. But it, it is not just that we, we, can, we can be more joyful in life, that we can be more faithful. What we want is that kind of power that enables us to bring glory to God. You do realize that we were made not to be happy, but to be holy. You know that, right? You know that the world doesn't revolve around you. I know I told my children that many, many times as they were growing up. The world really doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around your father either. It revolves around God. We were created to bring him glory. Are we doing that? Well, Yes, we are. We are because he has a hold of us, shaping our hearts, charting our path for us, and then by his own power, bringing us along to that place where he will someday be able to look at us and say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. There may be days where you question God will ever say that to you, But I assure you, as his child, he will say that because he has been at work in your life. May we have eyes to see that truth and find encouragement through it. Let us bow in prayer. Our Father, we are thankful for your word to us because we do live in days where we sometimes wonder, is there anybody who is left, who is faithful, who is standing on our side with us to say no to the world that seems determined to destroy all that is good in it. We, we struggle. We, we can even grow depressed and uncertain about what 
in the world can we do to change things? Because we forget we don't need to change things. You are the one who changes hearts, minds, people. You've changed us. Let us be content with that knowledge and let us find that hope that Paul speaks of here so that when confronted by a world that that would take all things that are good away from us, we know that it cannot because you have them reserved for us in heaven and you have promised you will keep us until we see them. We thank you for such grace and such power. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, please turn to hymn number 184. 184 in your hymns of grace. Come behold the wondrous mystery.
upstairs and all of you are welcome to join. You are dismissed.